I used to be part of a church where every other Saturday the minister would preach in the marketplace, right outside a betting shop. And he'd stand up on a little wooden chair and he would preach. And he would debate with hecklers that passed by and occasionally deal with some tomatoes thrown his way and have a quick comment for passers-by and a wise word for people coming out of the betting shop looking dejected because they just lost all their money. It required a lot of boldness and a fair degree of skill to do it. And among the group of people who would go down and support him was a woman who, she wouldn't have managed to do that standing on that chair. But she always had good conversations with people. I used to find it amazing just all the time. She had, in a friendly way, she'd speak to passers-by and she'd end up in serious conversations with them. It used to amaze me. I wondered if it was because she was Irish. She said it's because she prayed for it beforehand. I suspect it was a bit of both. Anyway, there are two rather different examples of being particularly gifted at speaking the gospel. And we don't all have those gifts, do we? And we're not to feel guilty for not having those gifts or feel inferior about it, but it doesn't mean no role for us. As we've been seeing over these last few weeks, we've been hearing five things that we all can and should do to spread the gospel. Now, there are many things that we could do to spread the gospel, but here are five that all believers can and should do. And they are praying for the gospel, giving for the gospel, living for the gospel, speaking for the gospel, and being part of a gospel church. And tonight we've got on to speaking for the gospel. Now, there are obviously many ways we could speak for the gospel, and there are obviously so many ways that we could be taught about this, big subjects. I'm aiming to just spend two weeks on it, and to tonight focus on what we most need if we're going to speak for the gospel. And I want to do it using a phrase you'll find in Matthew 12, verse 34. So if you've got a Bible, would you turn to Matthew 12, verse 34? The phrase is at the end of verse 34, and it's simply this. Jesus said, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I want to just preach that phrase. I'm not going to go into the context for it, although if you look into the context, you will find that what I say fits the context. I'm not ripping it out and misusing it. But it is also a phrase that stands alone. It's a truth that stands on its own. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, for a lot of this evening... It may sound like it's nothing to do with spreading the gospel. But spreading the gospel isn't an activity that stands on its own, separate from our spiritual health, separate from the state of our heart. So although it's not, most of it is not going to be directly about spreading the gospel, it is necessary for the sake of spreading the gospel we consider these things. So let's consider this phrase four ways. First of all, the principle. The principle is simple, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. 
Now imagine you're driving around that roundabout on Epinal Way and someone jumps the lights and pulls out in front of you and out of your mouth come a stream of words commenting on the person's eyesight and brain power and general manners. Hopefully that doesn't happen to you. What's happened? What's caused it? Oh, you say, because he cut me up. Well, that's true. But it's only half true. I'll demonstrate. Now, I've done this before. I've done it before two times, but uh, I think it's worth doing again because I think there's quite an important lesson in this. Watch the cup. Why did water spill out of the cup? Well, you say, because he's hitting the cup. That's why water spilled out of the cup. Well, watch the cup. No water spilling out of the cup. So why did water spill out of the first cup? Oh, well, there's two answers, aren't there? Because I hit it but also because there was water in the cup. We tend to explain our actions by circumstances, don't we? Those words came out of my mouth because he cut me up. I reacted in this way because I had a bad day. But water only comes out of the cup because there was water in it. When life and circumstances and other people hit us, what comes out will be what's in your heart. It wouldn't come out if it wasn't in you. Yes, water spilt out of the cup because I hit it, but only because there was first water in the cup. And that's not just a principle I've made up, is it? It's what Jesus is saying in verse 34. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus says we have a heart, and it's full of something. And that something overflows out. Now, what does he mean? What is our heart? Well, the medically minded think of a blood pump, don't they, in your body. The romantically minded think of Valentine's cards and feelings. And neither is what the Bible is meaning. No, the Bible sometimes uses heart to mean the centre of emotions, love, joy, fear. But the Bible also uses heart. Well, it says we think with our heart. Did you notice Colossians 3? It says set your heart on things above. Then it said set your mind on things above. It uses heart to mean what we call minds. We tend to think they're opposites, don't we? It addressed my mind but not my heart. Well, the Bible uses heart to mean mind. And then memorising the Bible is called hiding it in your heart. It uses heart to mean your memory. The Bible says some people have a stubborn heart. So it uses heart to mean what we call your will. It uses heart in quite a variety of ways. What then is your heart? Well, it's, it's really the Bible's summary of your whole inner person. If I say I'm getting to know you, I don't mean how big your ears are and what shape your nose is and what your blood group is, do I? If I say I'm getting to know you, I mean the inner person. I mean your character, your desires, your thoughts, your memories. And heart is the way the Bible describes that, describes us. And Jesus says here in our verse that there are things that go on in your heart that determine what comes out of you. What things are going on in your heart? Well, I'll just list some. Desires. That's an obvious one, isn't it? Desires go on in your heart. 
Inclinations. They're, they're like desires, aren't they, but a little different. They're, they're less consciously determined, more just what you're inclined to rather than a conscious desire. Character. Are you a loving person or a self-centred person? Are you a joyful person or a miserable person? Beliefs. Do you believe this action is right or wrong? Values. What is important to you? Identity. Who do you think you are? And, and all these things work together to shape our will. All these inputs, desire, inclinations, character, beliefs, values, identity, all these inputs result in an output. You decide to think that thought or say that word or do that action. Our heart controls our will, which controls what we do, think and say. And that's your heart. Well, that's the heart in general, but let's be more specific. What's your heart? What's your heart like? The Bible says if you're not trusting the Lord Jesus, your desires and inclination are towards sin. And your values and your beliefs and your identity are all opposed to God. In other words, the Bible says your heart is wrong. Now that's insulting, isn't it? But becoming a Christian involves taking the insult and saying, yes, that's me. There's something too wrong with me for me to put it right. You need the great heart surgeon, God, to give you a new heart. If you are trusting the Lord Jesus, you've got a new heart. It's not like that old heart. It's been changed, but you must take care of it. When I said earlier we're going to read a couple of readings on guarding your heart, possibly the best one would have been Proverbs 4, 23. Above all else, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. You've got to guard how you shape your desires, what shapes your desires and your inclinations and your character and your values and your self-identity. Now, I haven't forgotten, this is supposed to be about spreading the gospel. We will get round to that, but we need to start here with what's your heart like? We've started with a principle. Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. Now, secondly, the test. What flows out of your heart? Jesus says, out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. What flows out of your mouth shows what your heart is like. Now, we should all be concerned, shouldn't we, to know what our heart is like. None of us should be just trying to ignore it. The British Health Foundation has adverts warning you, take notice of any sign there's a problem with your heart. Because people die if they ignore heart problems. And people die eternally if they ignore spiritual heart problems. If they just engage in wishful thinking, I'm sure it will all be alright. I've been coming to this church for years. So we must ask ourselves, what flows out of your heart? Now, we've got to think about our words, haven't we? And you might think of your words in a home group discussion. Yeah, you could think of those words, couldn't you? Or you could think of your words to your family when you're on holiday relaxing and the sun is out. But those wouldn't be the best tests. A great One of the great teachers of church history, a man called John Calvin, said, the best sign of spiritual life is what comes out of you 
when there's trouble around. That's simple, but it's very true. What comes out of you? What do you do when there's trouble? What flows out of your heart then? I think we could also add to that, what do you do when you're off guard and you're not worrying what others think of you? I heard of a child who was at a wedding reception and was rather shocked because one of his uncles got very drunk and was saying all sorts of outrageous things. And some people were saying, I don't take any notice, he's just had too much to drink. But this child's wise mother took him aside and said, you need to realise when people are drunk, they don't say things they don't mean. They're saying things they do mean because the inhibitions are down, the guards are down. It's when he's sober he's not saying what he means. Well, it's very true, actually. When the guards are down, what comes out? So, will you test your heart? A bit like this. What do you talk about at work? Is it moaning about the management and gossip about the other workers? That doesn't sound like a contented or loving heart. What comes out of your mouth when you come home from a hard day and find there's no food in the fridge, and the children are running riot, and through the post has come a speeding fine. What comes out of your heart then? Is it a heart overflowing with patience, gentleness, and self-control? Now, I've set the bar high there, haven't I? I have to admit. But we have to test ourselves. Because it's in the trouble that our hearts are shown up, not when things are easy. The fruit of the Spirit is not meant to be for while you're lying on the beach. What comes out of your mouth when someone is suggesting you have a sin or a weakness that you weren't aware of, or maybe you were but were ignoring it? Is it self-justifying? Is it defensiveness? Is it how dare you say that? Does that match a teachable heart that's humbly wanting to keep on repenting? What comes out of your mouth? What does it say about your heart? What's your favourite topic of conversation? Is it yourself? I heard it said about someone, his favourite topic of conversation is his self. I thought, that's such a biting comment, that's nasty. It's true of an awful lot of us, isn't it? Or is it some other idol that you have? Let's just pause for a minute. Think about your words. What do they say is the favourite topic of your heart? What do they say about your heart? Let's just stop for a few seconds and have a think. Now, of course, we can't work it out in just half a minute, and that probably wasn't even half a minute. So please do bear that in mind and and keep thinking about that. What's going on in your heart? How's it shown up by your mouth? What does it say about your character, your desires, your values, your identity of who you are? Now, if you go for a medical check and you find there's something wrong with with your heart, it'd be pretty mad, wouldn't it, to ignore it and say, well, I hope it will be okay. It'll probably work out fine. Now you find out how to cure it, don't you? So if thinking about your words has raised question marks about your heart, here's good news for people with bad heart test results. We read Ezekiel 36, didn't we? And what did it tell us? God is the one who gives new hearts. 
In fact, it said, he will move you to follow him. In other words, he can change your inclinations, your deepest inclinations. Romans chapter 2 says, the Holy Spirit can circumcise your heart. What on earth does that mean, to have your heart circumcised? Sounds very painful. Oh yes, well it is, because circumcised means to cut away. And it means to cut away what's wrong with your heart. The Holy Spirit can do that. You can't cut it away, but he can. But God doesn't just do a negative cutting away. He does a positive. Ephesians 3 says, the Lord Jesus can take control of your heart. It's a prayer in Ephesians 3, that the Lord Jesus would take control of your heart. Is is your heart controlled by pride? By self-promotion? By a bad temper? Well, you can have it controlled by the person who's full of love, joy, peace, patience. Now, I know I'm supposed to be speaking about spreading the gospel, but even people interested in spreading the gospel can, when they pause and consider it, find their words show some heart problems. And so we still need to take hold of these gospel promises from the God who can change our hearts. If anyone was thinking, well, that's just for the unbelievers, that's just for those people, I can ignore this. Well, careful, that that says something worrying about your heart. We never move beyond needing this. So we've had the principle and the test, and now thirdly, the lifelong project, having a heart full of Christ. I haven't forgotten, we're supposed to be about spreading the gospel, but... I could push you with feelings of guilt, couldn't I, to speak the gospel? Or I could instruct you so like a cult member you know the answer to every question. But what's really needed is this. Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks the gospel to people. Now, what does that need your heart to be full of? Well, the answer's a few pages on, Mark chapter 1. Do you know how Mark's gospel begins? So simple, just a reminder of what the gospel's all about. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If your mouth is going to flow with the gospel, your heart needs to be full of Jesus. Isn't that what the apostles were like in Acts? They're given this great commission, they go out speaking, and as you read through Acts, what do you find is their continual message. It's all about Jesus, isn't it? All the time they're pointing people to Jesus. People listen to them and say, these people must have been with Jesus. The best way to get us speaking the gospel isn't to push you with guilt or even to instruct you with a load of answers, but he's having a heart full of Jesus Christ. So, can you think of that as your lifelong project? That is, isn't it, for the Christian, the lifelong project is having a heart full of Jesus Christ. Do you like having projects? Some people do, don't they? Some have, always have a sewing project on the go. Or my project at the moment is training to run a marathon. Or getting the garden sorted out. Or building the Star Wars spaceship in Lego. Well, here's a better project than all of those. Make it your lifelong project to have a heart full of Jesus Christ. So when you're reading the Bible, don't just think, I'm doing my Bible reading. No, think... Today the world will try to fill my heart with lust and covetousness and envy. 
So instead, I'm going to begin the day by trying to fill my heart with Jesus in readiness for all those other things coming in. Can you think of your Bible reading like that? I'm working on my lifelong project, filling my heart with Jesus. I'm currently reading through Isaiah. I got to chapter 11 on Friday. You might like to have a look at chapter 11. This is my morning Bible readings, Isaiah, and I got to chapter 11 on Friday. And I read this. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. So you do your Bible reading. You say, that's interesting. That's about Jesus. Shut your Bible. Pray for the day and on you go. No, don't do that. Just stop and ask some sensible questions. This is about Jesus, but it says he's coming out of the stump of Jesse. In other words, it's emphasising he's he's human, his humanity. Humanity and yet equipped by the Spirit. That's amazing. So his wisdom, his understanding, his counsel, his power didn't come from some sort of shortcut to God. It came as a human who had the Spirit. What does it mean he had wisdom? Does it mean five-year-old Jesus knew E equals MC squared? I know it's more practical wisdom than that, isn't it? It's about living God's way. What does it mean he had power? Is it about calming the storm? Oh, yes. But it's also about this. It's about he he could resist sin. He had power to fight temptation by the Spirit. Oh, if I have that same Spirit, then I can too. What does it mean that he delighted in the fear of the Lord? He is God. How could he fear the Lord? Do you you see, ask yourself some questions and you're working at filling your heart with the Lord Jesus. Now you might say, that's all very well, you've rigged it because you've chosen a chapter that's a wonderful chapter about Jesus. And it's not all like that, is it? Yes, I know, I'm reading Isaiah. Yes, and that's the only chapter so far that's been like that. Because the rest has been judgment. It's been Assyrians invading Israel. And then the Assyrians getting beaten up themselves. What do you do with that? You say, God is terrifying. His judgment is serious. People really got killed. His anger is dreadful. And then you think of Jesus. Jesus took that anger that judgment, that terrifying wrath of God. I will take that judgment unless I'm in Jesus. I so need him and everyone I meet needs him. See, I'm just trying to give you an example from my own Bible reading of, don't just, oh, I'm reading my Bible today. Even in the hard bits of judgment in the prophets, you can make it part of your lifelong project of filling your heart with Jesus Christ. When you read the Bible, will you have that attitude tomorrow? I'm I'm working at my lifelong project, filling my heart with Jesus Christ. When you come to church, do you think of it like that? I'm getting a boost in my project of filling my heart with Jesus Christ. What about singing hymns? Do you sing hymns at home? Yes, whether you can do it when other people are listening or you're too bad for that. Can't you sing some hymns? Not just for a sing-song, but if you you have those good hymns full of content. They can be ways of filling your heart with Christ. 
So we've had the principle, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The test, what is your heart like? The project, fill your heart with Christ. And then lastly, the overflow. What will your words then be? If your heart's full of Christ, what will your words then be? Now, what is happening in each of these examples? I'm going to give you some examples. What's happening in each of these examples? A boy telling you about Man City and about all the matches that they've won and about all the hat-tricks that Aguero, Sergio Aguero, has scored. And he's waxing lyrical about that team. Music lovers who've been to a concert and now you can't get them to stop talking about the brilliant musician. A couple who went on holiday to a new place and they come back and they're enthusing about it and saying, you ought to go there, you ought to try it. Oh, it's wonderful. What's happening in all three of those? Praise, isn't it? That's praise. Their heart is full and it's overflowing in words they want others to know. Aren't we like that? When our hearts are full of things, we want others to know. We want others to share in it. It's praise. So is your heart full of Christ? Are your words enthusiastic about him? Does it flow out of your mouth in words of praise? And not just at set times when the hymn is announced, but at work and at home and when socialising and when unbelievers are with you. Here's a different way of thinking about what our words will be like. Imagine at work you have lunch with a particular colleague most days. And after you've been doing so for two years, you discover from a comment someone else makes that this man is married. Well, you didn't realise that. It never came up in conversation. He never mentioned his wife over the two years you've been having lunch with him. Do you think he's got a good marriage? Do you think he's close to his wife? Well, if someone can have lunch with you at work for two years and never hear you mention Jesus, will they think this oneness with Christ is anything real? Will they think you are close to your Saviour? Now, the right response to that isn't, oh dear, I need to drop Jesus into conversation more. Well, that would be good, but that's not the right response. The right response is this, I need to be closer to Jesus. And then out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. I know that, because Jesus says so. Well, thank God for gifted evangelists. Thank God for the sort of person who never goes on a train journey without telling the gospel to the person next to them. There are some people who can do that, can't they? And do it very winsomely. Thank God for them. But we haven't all got that gift. But we do all have a heart. And what the heart is full of will overflow out through your mouth. So will that result in Christ flowing to other people? Let's pray for that.